Hello and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Vasca, and today we are at South by Southwest talking with documentary filmmaker Garrett Savitas and healer activist Vivian Anderson about the film Spring Valley. I'm very excited to be able to talk to you about this documentary because I really loved it. Really, oh. truly, it was my favorite documentary of South by Southwest. Wow. Wow. Ariel, that means so much to us because, you know, for so, for so long you were doing this and we're in the weeds doing it and um, for four years. So you just hope that someone will have a response at the end like you, you have. Yeah. Well, I will tell you, I have a very personal response to this film. And as we go through my questions, I just want to warn you, I will probably talk a little bit about my own personal experience with some aspects of this, because Mm -hmm. I happen to have a couple of things in common with some different parts of this story. I was a classroom teacher for 16 years, and I have had various incidents where I had to defend students against school resource officers in different ways, usually related to tardies Mm. more than anything. But how do you describe the Spring Valley incident in a log line? Have you been asked to do this for other interviews? I'm just curious. When you're summing up what happened in a nutshell, your entire film breaks it down from so many different angles. When you're trying to communicate to a public Mm -hmm. what it's about or to a producer what it's about to sell the movie, what is that description like? (laughs) I I want to know how you boil it down when that's the film. Well, it's such a great question, Ariel, because I can't tell you how many hours that we've had conversations about how best to describe this in, you know, three sentences or one paragraph. It's not. It's not very easy, but, you know, one way we end up doing it is just describing about the incident. We talk about the incident and then we talk about how there is, you know, one woman that that didn't just move on to the next incident. She moved down to South Carolina and confronted, you know, to help the girls confront the officer and try to dismantle the system that created that incident. So uh, a lot of it is, you know, with the log line talking about that is, I could actually read you the official logline too, if you like. I have the official logline, okay, yeah. <laughs> but I just wondered in the pitching room, how did you even think about that? Or I just mm-hmm. wonder how how difficult that must have been for you to try to explore one sentence. Well, what, one thing that kind of got into this is like we, you know, that if we kind of go back to why we were interested in the film, it's like could we. When we found out of this inc- incident and we remembered we all saw it in a viral video, as filmmakers, we were drawn to the idea of what if we spent two years, three years, you know, just with everything we have drilling down into one viral video. So that is, that's one way we've just described it to people. This is a feature film. It's a 90 minute film about a 90 second video, viral video. So that, that is one way. And also another way we've talked about it is asking about people, you know, police in schools is, you know, a lot of people don't even realize police are in schools. They don't even have, yeah, a lot of the public don't even realize those are actually police and they haven't done any critical thinking behind it. But yes, in terms of when we sit down and talk about the logline of pitch, it's mostly, it's, it's really about how this is a viral video and how we drilled down on it, in which I think more people, I hope people take away from this film is they don't look at a viral video the same again. And they just realize, they don't just swipe on to the next thing and they, they realize these are humans involved and what are all the aspects that led to that moment and 
what did I have? What do we all, what accountability do we all have for that? So. But I think it's also about the creation of empathy, right, Vivian? Mm. I mean, in terms of your work, your work is all about healing and the creation of empathy and so forth. And I think Garrett's work is trying to create that connection of empathy for white audiences as well, where I think black people see that video and they connect to the trauma instantaneously. Whereas it's obvious from the first few seconds of the film, practically, the way it was politicized and blown out of proportion in different ways. On the right side of the media, on Fox News, and by different pundits elsewhere. And Vivian, when I watch this film, you are so phenomenal in terms of the way that you are working with these girls and the way that you are trying to heal all of these divides. But what I had to wonder is for you, when you look at this film, How do you feel it plays to a black audience versus a white audience? Do you feel like there's a difference there? Yeah, I think for me, because I had an eight-year-old watching it with me last night, really. And she's rubbing my back like, it's okay, Miss Vivian. (laughs) (laughs) And when we talk about white audience different from black audience, and Garrett knows I talk about this a lot, where there's oftentimes it's not just a race conversation, there's a class conversation. I just remember, and I don't know if Gary remember, always said that one of the things that made me stay in South Carolina, because I saw the opening of Pandora's box. So it wasn't just a single issue. It was like so multi-layered. And that's what Pandora's is so, it's so many layers to it, so many things in it. And that's why, you know, like for me, I was just like, wait a minute. It's not just a race thing. It's not just a gender thing. There's some class there. There's some like hierarchy, there's patriarchy, it's always white supremacy, but there's so many layers to it where I was just like, hold up, because there were black folks. Like I said, when I first got to South Carolina, it was like, okay, two girls got in trouble, then what? And so depending on, you know, then I had friends who were, yes, go, yes, girl, yeah, do that. So I think it's just going to depend. And it's going to, I think it's going to, even from white and black audiences, class, all the things, I think it's going to move them in different ways as you start to see one person to the next, especially everybody keeps talking about me and Ben, right? (laughs) So that's going to have everybody like, what is going on right now? So. But I didn't know that when I stepped foot in South Carolina, I would end up sitting and talking to this man in the way and interacting with him in that way. But I just, you know, I let God move me and it's what it led me to is the work. If we're saying we're doing the work. Yeah. And it's wonderful work because I have to tell you, as you're talking about this, that was one of the things that I felt was a real strength of this film was that it identifies a lot of the structural problems as opposed to just saying This is a problem with school policing, being able to actually go back to the lived trauma of the land, Mm -hmm. going back to talk about the entire history of South Carolina from slavery to segregation to the way that institutions have evolved. Mm -hmm. It all comes down to, I think, the hierarchies in certain ways. But what led you to talk about structural problems? At what stage in the process, Garrett, were you talking about structural problems as opposed to just the facts of the thing? Well, two things. The more I got to know Vivian, the Vivian teach you know, telling me about it and explain, you know, and learning, you know, from Vivian. Because one thing about this is any documentary, you know, I wouldn't want to go in trying to teach anything. I'm going in to learn. 
something, you know, that, so what you see on screen is an exploration of what I've learned, what my team and I did, you know, which is, you know, an incredible team, Ariana Garfinkel, Jeff Consiglio, Chico Kovard, and Christy Martinez. And, and so I will say what, so learning from Viv as I'm going along was one thing, but then the other thing was where that really resonated was that, like I said, that we wanted this to speed, to drill down on this one incident, this 90 seconds. And I, I kind of saw this film as an opposite of a viral video. Um, where you know so the opposite of viral video means context so what i thought is we can the, the whole idea is that let's add context that's not this video so when you start thinking about context you start thinking about the people involved we learn about like what shakar's day was like what what the officer was doing the teacher but then you expand the context out more and say well what were the policies for them to be why was that officer even there and then you expand that even more and say what were the laws and then and it just the more we dug this the more context so that's what this film is and i love that you dive into the history and the institutions and the policies and the practices but it's also looking at the structural practice of the mm -hmm. patriarchy of supremacy mm -hmm. of the hierarchies of class and education and all the institutions within american society i think that's fascinating in there and for me i found just hearing about that disturbing school law shocking what was your first reaction vivian when you heard about that or realized that that was something that you had to overturn well i can say my two days turned into me you know moving because i'm like wait a minute that's a law this is we actually created a law for children and it was like wait a minute and then as um even when i was talking to naya and her mom shakar and her mom and i was talking to other parents Nobody had any idea. They were like, oh, we just think our kids getting written up or this is happening. I'm like, no, there's a law that's in place that can have your ch child arrested. And if you can't pay the money when they get arrested, your child is going to be incarcerated. And at that point, like we've done work since then. At that point, if your child is like 16, they're going to adult jail. So let's talk about this, right? And so for me, it was one of those things where it was just like, wait a minute, I was already working with the zero tolerance policies. Policies and laws are two different things. And then it, it just started, like I said, the Pandora's, Pandora's box, and now I call it the spider web, and how all the things are connected and how we have to keep. So when we talk about how we shift this, for me, it was like the only way I could really help the girls in that moment was to address policy. I can like hug up on them and love up on them. But if I'm going to make it different from everybody else, because one of the things I've been very intentional about, no matter what child I'm working with, I don't make it about the child. I make it about the issue. I make it about, so it's the context, not just the content. And so I love the way Garrett put that because we can like made a whole thing just about this happened to this child and everybody would have saw it as one thing that happened to one person versus what the film has done has created a context about a larger systemic issue that's happening in the United States that people are not paying attention to. So I'm very proud of the work that they've done. Because, you know, at first I'm like, who is these white people coming to my house, right? But then I'm like, <laughs> okay, now I get it. And I'm so, I, I really hope that everybody walks away with, okay, now we got to dive deeper. Something happens, we don't just say, oh, this messed up. We don't like, dislike it or whatever. But let's stop and look at it and say, what's the deeper dive into it? And if me as an individual, is there anything I can do to have this look different for the child that this didn't happen to, but the millions to come or whatever? So it won't yeah. be millions to come. And I think it's wonderful that your focus is so specifically on policy while at the same time 
also supporting the girls as individuals. But I also have to say, Shakara is kind of my hero now <laughs> after watching this movie for so many reasons. But among them, the fact that she was denied so much and so many opportunities, and she still had the grace to give that award mm. to another girl who had the opportunities that she did not have and was able to accomplish so much. And the way that she speaks and that she is able to process the experience now, I can't imagine what that takes. I can't imagine what that takes. There's a hell of a lot of strength there. Yeah, I mean, she's been my hero since day one. Like, I, like I'm so grateful that I've been blessed to be able to like actually interact with her. And I always say, I keep telling y'all, God moved everything because how I was able to like actually physically get her and get hold of her it should have never happened i call one place and you know you know hospitals ain't supposed to give you nobody's name or whatever that woman said ain't nobody called for her hold on and the next thing i know they're like who are you what how did you get this number and i was like i've just been searching i've been on the ground i've been walking i've been doing all the things and the next day they said we're gonna take her somewhere you can't know her facility but we're gonna take her somewhere and you can meet her there and then we've been together ever since and even when she walked in, she was very clear about who are you? We've been talking via Facebook, but who are you really? And the way that she questioned me, I was like, okay, God. And she was like, okay, yeah, you can see me again. I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, but her yeah. ownership for her own life. And that's one of the things we talk about with black girls having autonomy of their choices, autonomy of their lives. And like, no matter what's happened to you, she's very clear this life ain't been no crystal stare. She is very- Oh, no okay. crystal stare. Yeah. It is. She knows that, but her past is not determining her future. She is so clear. Like, I can have it look different. If won't nobody else do it for me, I can do it for myself. And that's why she will always be like, you heard it in the film. I'm like, girl, you know, you were talking to me. She gives me advice. We sit and talk to each other. So I, I love what we created because I've watched this girl who was forced into womanhood early on, right? In adulthood, yeah. I should say, right? Because she had to take on a whole lot of stuff at a young age. But watching this woman develop and mm -hmm. see her step into her own and own herself, not what society says, regardless of everybody else, get to say, yeah, I felt this at one moment. I felt that, it, but here's where I am now. And I might have a bad day, but here's where I am now. And she's, she's creating it for her. It's just the mission of every Black girl, a world where every Black girl thrives under their circumstances under they, like what they say is thriving. And so that means so much to me that she's, she's creating her own path. I think that's magic. And at the same time too, when you think about what happened in that classroom on that day and the way that so many structural things imploded and the fact that she was a student with disabilities who was denied the appropriate accommodations in that instant, just, I have to tell you, as someone who's been a classroom teacher of students with learning disabilities for 16 years, that really deeply upset me. And I could not <laughs> get over that for a minute. It, it took me quite a bit to get over that. But I love that you went there, Garrett. I love that you explored these issues within the educational system as well as at the same time looking at 
everything that was wrong in terms of what went wrong in Ben Fields' transition into the pipeline as well. Mm -hmm. And so I wondered if you could tell me a little about how you got access to Ben Fields. Did Mm -hmm. he know what the whole story was going to pan out as? No, he didn't know because I didn't know. And I was honest with him that I'm trying to do that kind of, you know, guy to guy thing. It's like, what I'm going to do is give you an opportunity to tell your story and you can look at my prior work. I'm not out. I'm not going to change something. I don't have, you know, a gotcha thing or all that. And I said, I'm, I, I wanted to ask everybody's stories. And so that was part of it. And another part of Ariel was like, you know, what as me as a white man, what could I bring to this whole thing? And part of what I felt part of what I could felt I could do is use my white privilege as, you know, and just feel like, and get into the belly of the beast of, of what the justification for something like this could be. You know, that, you know I was really want to know how is, how do you, you know, Ben Fields, how do you justify this? How did 50% of South Carolina, when they were asked, justify this? And as a white person, and especially mostly white people and this white worldview of that. And as a white person, I was like, well, I want to interrogate that. And, but yeah, so how did I get, I got access because I knew a, a friend of his that had posted about it and writ- written about it. And I talked to him and explained and he connect and he connected me with him. And it was just a lot of hours, a lot of hours and conversations, you know, maybe hundreds of hours of conversations. And, and then through that, but he was willing to talk to, and Vivian's willing to talk to them and they ended up talking and I thought it could be a blowout, but they actually took it from there and took the relationship from there. But that's kind of how that, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, um, like Anna DeVere Smith's work and, and that idea of, you know, just, I want to like trust the audience too, you know, hear all the sides, but not do it in a moral equivalence way, equivalency way. I would never wanted to make it like, oh, it's just like, oh, he's got, he said, she said, it's not like that. The reason why I did this whole thing is because I saw the power of balance in that video. No no child should be, you know. Exactly. Exactly. But I'm also going to tell you, there was a moment where Ben said something Mm. that really hit me in my heart. He was explaining how the fact that he had a birthmark on the right side of his face Mm -hmm. made him more empathetic and made him understand the Black experience. Mm. I also had a birthmark that made the entire right side of my face completely red. I was called monster, all kinds of things growing up. I have repeatedly, until the last couple of years or so, I have repeatedly said to people, Oh, I understand racism because I know what it's like to be ostracized for the way that you look. And when I heard this coming out of Ben's mouth, I was like, great, I'm having my own words spat back at me. But it was a moment that was very interesting for me because I sort of came to terms two years ago that whether or not you have some disfigurement or whatever, you still have white privilege. It never goes away that you have white privilege in this space, regardless. And finding that he was talking through a lot of the aspects of what was going on, I kept wondering, when he said things like, I was the only one punished, how hard was that for you to take as a filmmaker? Well, as a filmmaker and as a human, because, you know, I wanted Ben to see his own accountability. I, I assumed that through conversations that Ben would see, you know, his own accountability in this. And for when he said that to me, 
it was just infuriating and frustrating, you know, and that, and it's, that is the white fragility that Robin D'Angelo talks about, you know, it's defensiveness, yeah. it's the defensiveness. Yeah. And so, yes. And, and, but the, yes, it was infuriating. So many emotions, Ariel. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just saying that for me, it was actually very upsetting to me to feel like I had some kind of a kinship with Ben mm. at all within this film, which I did and clearly do as a white person and within mm. the system of all of it, of course. But I still look at this film and I think for you, Vivian, working one-on-one -on -one with him, what was your guiding principle in your conversations that you had with Ben? Space and grace. <laughs> Space and grace. Because I do so much restorative justice work, it was very clear to me, I couldn't decide who gets to have restorative justice, right? You can't do this work, then pick and choose. And I wanted to go back to something that you both just said, when that point around, he felt like, like as we work together, right? It was like, oh, I can see Shakara now, right? Mm -hmm. Now, Naya, he still can't see, but he saw Shakara, right? And like, that's like, had he stayed with me, we could have actually had him see Naya too. Like, that was a child who was frightened seeing this white man attacking this black girl. This wasn't about you. It's like, really? So, but I keep telling people, I think this is something I was called for. Me and God are in a lot of conversations because there's no way, because one of the things, and Garrett knows, he kept saying, well, you sit with him. I said, I sit with anybody. But I was ready to sit with him like, I'm about to go in. I didn't know that when I sat with him, what would come up was like, you're actually going to sit with it like this. Something came over me and all the anger that I walked in that room with, knowing that he had harmed this child, knowing that he did all that. At the same time, I was clear that I was going to be talking to a human being because if I let my feelings and my emotions get in the way, we weren't going to get to where we need. To, and it wasn't going to help her. It just it wasn't going to support her or any other girl after her. And so I was like, it's not about you, Vivian. It's through you, but not about you. So whatever reason you're in the room with this man and you got his attention, if you could give any if you can do anything right now, because I could have easily blew up and that would have been the end of everything. But mm -hmm. OK. All right, Lord, I trust you. Let me talk. I'm talking human to human. I'm talking like I've been there. I ain't, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't work with kids. I ain't never slammed no child like that. I've never done anything like that. But I'm like, okay, let me help him see we're responsible. Like where's responsibility versus blame come in? And like, how do we move him forward? If he still got these folks in his lives, I can't just cut it off. So it was space and grace. And even for myself, I had to give myself space and grace because there were times Gary would be like, um, can you film today? I'm like, nah, I'm gonna need a minute. <laughs> and then I'll go back in. And that's what I loved about them because they were always willing to give me my space and grace. But I think those are the words that I would use when you say what guided me, I would say space and grace. Wow. And I was gonna say some one more thing about that kind of bias thing about a white person. But when you know, you were talking, thank you for sharing your own story about that and about how you thought about when Ben talked about his birthright, you know, how it connected. Because I had, uh, uh, I mean, part of what I hope through this film is that white people see it and they do say to themselves, wait, where are my own implicit biases that I don't recognize? Where are my blind spots? And mm -hmm. because that's what something that sounded like you said, and I saw it through the process of making this. And because one thing Robin D'Angelo talked about in her, in her book, White Fragility, that really blew me away, it was really eye-opening for me, was that this idea of binary aspect of racism where yeah. white, white people, they just think, 
you know, those are the racists over there. And because I'm a good person, I am on this side of the, I'm the binary yeah. part. And so no one ever, even Ben thinks he's on this side. He always, right. he, he says, yeah. Gary, you thought I was, you were going to come down and I was going to have a KKK, you know, and it's like, everybody thinks they're on that side and they don't want to think about their implicit bias. So, but I always wanted, Ben refused his denial to see any implicit bias. That was a fundamental thing right there. And I hope white people see that his defense of his denial that willful ignorance and they kind of see it in themselves because we all are part of it in terms of even how we let the structures and happen around us and we don't question. Exactly. And it's that lack of questioning the structure. I think about how many days I said, oh yeah, our SRO is a good guy until that one day I had a black student who was Mm. discriminated against unfairly and was actually expelled from the school. And I had to write a copious amount of letters on his behalf to no avail. And it was only ever black students that that ever happened to and only for tardies and in a white majority school. That's very, very noticeable. Wow. That's it's so frustrating when I hear I have white family and friends tell me they all that's what they're saying is I know I knew a good SRO. It's like, I, of course, you did. You know, of course, there are some good SROs, but how many kids have to suffer? But it's not even the point of mm-hmm. if there is a good SRO or not. The point is there shouldn't be police in schools exactly. at all. The entire structure is damaged. It's an incredibly damaged system for all kids everywhere. And Vivian, I think you make that point brilliantly throughout the film. The school to prison pipeline is alive and well in this country. And I think that it's just incredible the way that you are able to articulate that and fight those policies while also doing this work. You're doing deep trauma work at the same time as fighting the system. And I admire that so much, Vivian. Yeah, well, thank you for that. Um, but I don't think they can be separated, right? No, not and at all. So when we were, you were talking earlier and one of the things, and not just like, I'm not going to say just like white people. I'm talking about all people. When they watch this film, there's somebody who's considered the perpetrator or harmer that you're going to relate with. Mm-hmm. And if we can remove shame and guilt and blame from the conversation and like, what's my responsibility now? Now that I know what's the work that I have to do, mm-hmm. that's all I wanted to get him to. Like, what's the work that you get to do so you are no longer a harmer or you don't like, oh, woe is me. Everything is happening to yeah. me. Yeah. Oh, I have this scar on my face. So I know racism. Right. Exactly. Like, exactly. <laughs> right. And it's just like, now that I know. What am I going to do with this information and how do I use it? Right. Because at the end of the day, like we keep saying, it's white privilege. And I know y'all watch it through the film where he tackled that. He tackled, there's no such thing. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. And I was like, every time you are no, you cut off any possibilities for what the yes in your world could look like. So I want folks to like really work to what the yes in the world could look like and how different our world could be if we just stop and say, there's some things I got to like take accountability for. It happened. I'm not blaming and shaming myself, but now that I know what am I going to do with this information? So I don't want it to be just another film that people watch. I actually want it to be like, folks are always like, well, what do we do? How can we do something different? Take this film and say, mm, let me sit with myself and then say, now I'm going to go search for what I can do. And I'm going to step into 
And we give so many examples of what can, what it can look like, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I'm hoping folks will be like, hey, this looks like something that happened. Oh, let me go research the laws at our school. Let me look at the policies. Let me go look at the parent hearing guide, the student hearing guide, and things like that. So it doesn't have to be people relocating their life, but it can be like one person. Just see one child that you see as being harmed and what does it mean to invest in that child and then look at what does it mean to like really step into creating a world that you dream about? And you look at both problems and solutions in microcosm and macrocosm. And so I think that's very helpful for viewers in terms of figuring out kind of where the most economical use of their resources is going to be. Whatever your emotional resources happen to be that you can invest in this issue. I think it's a powerful thing. And I want to thank you both so very much for everything that you're doing to bring this issue to light, because policing in schools is something that not enough people actually pay attention to. I admire your work so very much, Vivian and Garrett. Thank you so much for bringing this tool to advocates. And I hope you have a lot of good luck at the festival. I really hope this goes very well in its release. I hope this is the beginning of a journey. And a lot of, you know, beautiful conversations with a lot of different people. And thank you, Ariel, for being the you know, start of this journey. And, you know, you give us, this helps give us the confidence that we I think we can do something. We can use this as a tool. I think yeah. you absolutely can. And you should. Thank you both for including me always. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Especially with everything that we see, even in 2021, in the middle of a global pandemic, we still, I've had four or five cases come. I'm in Florida now. So the, the SROs, it hasn't stopped. And I think one of the things if people really look at the documentary, we can look at like, how is it that we can hold everybody off at the state house, but we cannot stop harming black. Like we have to actually like, it becomes like something that's gonna like hit them in the forehead so hard that they can't deny it. You are the state's captain, right? January yeah. 6th happened and you can't stop. The only way you can stop a child <laughs> And I think the film like lays that out so well around who gets privilege and who doesn't at the end of the day. And policing in our country, who gets policed and who doesn't? Because those people at the Capitol didn't get policed, but these kids get policed all day, every day in the middle of a global pandemic. And, and just quickly, it's important to point out, she just said it earlier, that Vivian is on the ground right now in Florida where the young girl, young black girl, you might have saw it on a viral video last month, was slammed to the ground by an SRO so hard she lost consciousness. And Vivian went down there and she's with those the girls now, the families. And so she's just continuing to do work. I think it's incredible that you're in the middle of the work and that you're immersed in it and immersed in the lives of these young women. These incredible heroes, I'm just going to say, because honestly, black girl magic is real. Amen. It's absolutely true, because I think there are so many young women who really just need space and grace, right? Space and grace. There you go. That's a t-shirt. Space and grace. And watch how our world transforms. Thank you both so much. And thank you. Thank you again for having us. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of land stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land, 
And I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch. <laughs>